Hey, 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 everybody. How are you all guys doing? Welcome to the Wimper Podcast, where we talk about all the goofy stuff related to space, astronomy, deep tech, AI, and a lot more to learn about which you won't find much in a conventional form of education. Okay, hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Wimper Podcast. We have Mihir Tripathi here. And uh, yeah, hi, Mihir. Uh, hi, how are yeah, welcome to the Wimper Podcast. Thank you. Um, so, Mihir, could you introduce yourself to the audience? That would be way better. Sure. Hi, everyone. Uh, I am Mihir Tripathi. I am an astrophysics researcher. Uh, I have done my master's from Tata Institute of Fundamental Research, and I am now uh, in a stage where I am going to apply for various PhD programs. I do my research in the field of planet and star formation. I especially study how planets form into the planetary protoplanetary disk around young stars and i also work a lot in uh, work a little bit in fields of uh, combining machine learning for astronomy and astrophysics so i use mm-hmm. machine learning to uh, detect these planets sometimes uh, in the protoplanetary field protoplanetary disks etc mm-hmm. mm-hmm. so this is basically what uh, i do uh, uh, for research for science yeah cool and uh, so do you have any thoughts that you would starting thoughts that you would like to give us shall we just start off with the questions right away yeah yeah we can i think start off with the questions it would be better okay okay so in this episode in particular we are going to be talking about uh, jwst alma and especially star formation that is why it's named cosmic crafting quote unquote and uh, some of the wake stuff, discovering life and all of that. Yep. And uh, about Mihir's own experience related to researching and uh, mentoring students in astrophysics. So, yeah, a lot of things are going to happen. Stay tuned and uh, you may enjoy it. And I hope you enjoy it. Okay. So starting off with the first question. Um, how do you know that what we know about planet and star formation and uh, whatever we know about it, what how does it help our understanding of the universe? This is a very vague question, very generic one, but let's start off with a simple one. Yeah. So. Right. So, see, uh, star and planet formation are probably one of the one of the fields of research in astrophysics, which are very close to one of the big questions that we want we all want to answer: that are mm-hmm. we alone in the universe? Right. So this is a question that intrigues lots of, lots of people. And uh, so the answer to this question uh, is like, uh, it, it can be found into research on galaxies as well, and it can be found into research on how planets form as well. But it is probably like the closest in the past that we can go uh, and see how like how life evolved, right? Mm-hmm. So that uh, we can answer uh, using planet formation, I think. And that is, uh, I think, the most important uh, reason why lots of people get attracted to uh, answering this, like uh, do the research on planet formation and how exoplanets, you know, mm-hmm. present. Uh, like what, talking about how do we even calculate, uh, you know, star ages and planet ages, talking about we know that yeah, um, the Earth is 4.6 billion years old, whatever the sun is, I think it's 10 or maybe something like that, something yeah. around that, I don't know. Um, and so how do you even calculate, like, what is the method, if you have some idea of it? Right. 
So there are mm. multiple ways in which you can uh, find out about the age of a star or a planet. Mm-hmm. So if we are talking about a planet, for example, let's say Earth, right? Yeah. So Earth has lots of uh, metals in its core, and mm-hmm. in its uh, so in every uh, now and then you will find uh, in some mine or something you will find some meteorite, for example, which has been deposited onto Earth mm-hmm. some years before. So uh, this some of these metals will be you know uh, radioactive, and they mm-hmm. will have its half life. So mm-hmm. researchers use that the 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 concept of radioactive decay mm-hmm. to determine that how much of material uh, has mm-hmm. been decayed uh, mm-hmm. from from the uh, from the uh, pebbles which we found into our score, and based on that we can give some estimate, uh, roughly ac- an accurate estimate of how much is the age of Earth or how much is the age of the solar system, as as we can mm-hmm. say. Right. And in case of stars, it's a little bit different. So we have very good theories of how stars form and then how they evolve and how they die. So based on that, we have some estimate of, uh, you know, when this, how, how old our mm-hmm. star is. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, uh, we, you can, because you are in the lifetime of the star, maybe when civilization progresses further, you can definitely know when the star will die right? right but how do you know when it was born right right so so what astronomers have done so far is that we we have categorized various stars uh, mm-hmm. in the universe into uh, based on uh, how big they are or how massive they are basically mm-hmm. and for example like if you have a smaller star Okay. I see. So that's yeah. sma- small stars tend to burn their uh, material much more slowly. Uh, yeah. So as a result, we can we have an estimate of what is uh, the approximate amount of material available in the star, mm-hmm. and we also know the rate at which it is burning that material. Mm-hmm. So we can calculate how long it will keep on burning that material. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay, that's a good and, estimate. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that way we can have mm-hmm. some idea mm-hmm. also like, i mean yeah you can continue you can continue so basically star uh, converts hydrogen into helium into its core right yeah that is yeah. true about true for like low mass stars sun like stars slightly massive ma- uh, stars mm-hmm. than sun in the yeah. highly massive stars some other mechanism happens but we know the mechanisms so we can calculate the abundances of this materials within the star so for example 100 percent of hydrogen was there at the time the sun uh, was born and how much uh, hydrogen now has been converted into helium that we can calculate based on you know spectra of the star. Uh, from that, we can have an estimate that how much material has been converted into helium, and that means how much, how long it has been going on. Okay. Uh, and uh, so you said that because uh, we know how, the amount of hydrogen that is present there, and we know the amount of helium that is present so present uh, within the star. So we can just calculate that how much time that, I mean, at what rate it is currently doing it and at what rate it might have done in the past so that we could just calculate when it started to do that process and all of that. Yeah. yeah. And so is hydrogen being one of the most, or probably I think the most abundant 
uh, element in the entire universe is that also one of the reasons why it helps us to do that uh i wouldn't say that it helps us but basically mm-hmm. it's a fact that hydrogen is the most abundant in, uh, element in the universe mm-hmm. because it is also the simplest uh, to form right oh. one atom like one electron mm-hmm. one mm-hmm. Uh, one proton mm-hmm. so it, it was the first element that was yeah. formed in so the it's the yeah so it's the sim- simplest one but um and why is it not the case with carbon when it is said to be one of those elements that is highly versatile and it can form any form of ele- any form of compound any form of structure with any other type of element um why hasn't carbon been the case if you could just speculate on that uh as in i i didn't uh, get what the question is like i mean we you, you know we you know carbon can form as because because of its uh, properties it can form as many um compounds and structures as possible with other elements mixing up with other right. elements right we have an entire chapter that we have to mm-hmm. read in high school and of that so why i mean when carbon has the ability to mix up and and catenate catenation yeah catenate uh, with as many elements as possible and form as many chains chains as possible complex and simple ones and uh, because it because that means that it has the versatility and flex- flexibility of being mixed up with as many elements as possible right right so why i mean in chemical processes and in also um cosmological processes why hasn't carbon been the dominant force in driving the manufacturing and crafting of these celestial bodies why hydrogen just because it's simpler or just be, or why i mean does bonding not matter so if we talk about the relative importance of you know carbon and hydrogen in universe so both of the elements have their own uh, own kind of importance they so what hydrogen can do carbon cannot do what carbon can do hydrogen cannot do yeah uh, so hydrogen basically is the most abundant element in the universe so uh, it it happens so that uh, the most like most of the structures in the universe will uh, basically will have more amount of hydrogen naturally right mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. and essentially any other uh, other element which is like heavier than hydrogen mm-hmm. uh, forms out of nuclear fusion right so stars form hydrogen into helium then eventually some other star will form helium into carbon and then will carbon then go into nitrogen and oxygen and so forth so uh, hydrogen essentially started like came first and it has how did hydrogen hydrogen come into being like it was it just natural because of the formation of the universe and the way it was or right. was it formed through anything so of course there was a process uh, for the formation of hydrogen as well um, mm-hmm. so we all know the theory of big bang right yeah. and this is uh, so after big bang uh, several things happened and uh, this is this goes into you know kind of out of my expertise but basically various particles came into being Uh, and then those particles eventually form protons and electrons mm. and then those particles some at some point of time uh, mm. started coming together and form hydrogen mm. mm-hmm. right. well um a follow up question to that so uh in after the big bang it is um, speculated that it took about 370000 years for the first stars to start forming right, right. so before that the universe was too hot or maybe it w- it was just um uniformly hot throughout uh the space that is why it could not concentrate one uh mean maybe 
you can say it could not concentrate its entire energy into one specific area so that it could form a star because the star is completely hotter to an empty or void area of space right, right? so yeah i mean i'm just speculating on i'm not saying it's a theory right okay. so uh if so if if something took 370000 years since its beginning um was what what was that era like like what was happening in those 370000 years was where there was nothing but just heat and light right so basically uh it was as you said very hot and mm-hmm. initially very dense as well mm-hmm. and then it started expanding so mm-hmm. uh, eventually the temperature came down density mm-hmm. came down mm-hmm. and uh, as i said various subatom sub you know sub atomic particle uh, like you know quarks and gluons etc mm-hmm. started forming mm-hmm. uh, they were going around in every direction and like mm-hmm. it's you know it was very chaotic <laughs> right. but eventually uh, you know uh, structures started to form and as you said at some point um, galaxies started to form stars started to form and mm-hmm. earlier stars were very different from uh, what we what kind of stars we are seeing today uh, mm-hmm. they were very uh, they were like very uh, vaguely structured we we don't know ex- very much about it but several uh, researchers are, are trying their best to know more about how early stars form Mm-hmm. Uh, because so if you take a look at sun today so it does not just have hydrogen and helium it also has some other elements like metals and uh, so basically other el- in astronomy's uh, astronomers language um, anything other than hydrogen and helium is metal mm-hmm. uh, we don't go by the normal classification of metals and nonmetals anything mm-hmm. which is heavier than helium is metal so mm-hmm. when i say that sun has metals what i mean is it has other elements like carbon nitrogen uh, some amount of uh, iron etc and mm-hmm. those elements kind of came into being after like first stars uh, formed and they died and they formed other elements and those elements uh, out of those elements the next generation of stars started to form and then mm-hmm. they have this other elements so they have very different kinds of structure mm-hmm. i see um well uh, you mentioned alma and jwst respectively well alma has been used to detect uh cold sat- celestial bodies in the universe specifically with uh, radio telescope methods uh for jwst it can observe any celestial body in an infrared and uh, in the entire universe irrespective of how hot or cold they are right for the alma it, it can do only only cold bodies and for star formations usually you have explosions and uh collapse of hot gases especially hydrogen and you know uh so that's so that means comparatively to uh, the other areas of space uh star formation is a hotter or of of high temperature of, of high energy uh in you can say a form, a form of cosmological processes right in the category of cosmological processes it's a comparatively a comparatively energy ex, energy oriented or high energy uh, oriented uh, uh, you can say process yeah right yeah and then my question would be how can these powerful telescopes help us better understand the way our universe works and especially star formation right so the answer to this question uh, is 
is really uh, deep. So what happens? Mm-hmm. Uh, so for that, we first have to know how stars actually form. Like, yeah. So in the universe, uh, there are regions which we call molecular clouds. Mm-hmm. Okay. And uh, so, for example, if you have um, seen Orion, uh, Orion yeah. Nebula, Orion. right? So when we say nebula, it's basically a cloud. And Orion mm-hmm. Nebula is a star-forming molecular cloud. It mm-hmm. has most mostly it is composed of hydrogen, hydrogen mm-hmm. H two uh, gas, and mm-hmm. then some amount of other gases and very small, like one percent dust. So when mm-hmm. I say dust, it means everything which which can form in in that uh, in the in the stars, planets, uh, which is solid, mm-hmm. basically. Mm-hmm. Okay. So out of this giant molecular clouds you have some regions which have high dust and gas densities um, right and within those uh, cores which we so the high dust density regions are called cores and those cores sometimes becomes gravitationally instable and they start collapsing on itself uh, as mm. they start collapsing uh, they they basically form a small uh, protostellar core into the center mm. Mm-hmm. And that is the seed of the star. So basically, it will grow into a sing- into mm-hmm. a star. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the surrounding dust and gas then starts to collapse onto the central star. And because of because they have some initial angular momentum with respect to the core, mm-hmm. uh, as they start falling, they don't directly fall onto the core. Mm-hmm. Uh, they rather fall onto a disk around it. So this is basically because of the principle of conservation of angular momentum yeah so, okay. so basically okay. anything falls down onto the onto a rotating object it starts also rotating mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. because of so is that the gyroscopic method that you know, usually telescopes use um to in, in order to position themselves uh no it's little bit different so uh, you can probably think of it as so this is a famous example that everyone gives that uh, you probably have seen some skaters which are mm. uh, you know sometimes do this trick where they have their hands mm. uh, yeah, uh, yeah. spreaded and they are start mm. they start rotating and then as they mm-hmm. uh, start folding their hands uh, mm. they start they start doing faster, faster. yeah right? mm. so this is exactly what happens um, the dust particles which is at the uh, like hundred so thousand AU away from the central core. It starts its journey uh, under mm-hmm. the effect of gravity towards the central star. But as mm-hmm. as soon as it starts coming nearer to the central core, mm-hmm. its angular momentum has to be conserved. So its velocity, rotational velocity, has to be has to increase. And as a result, it starts rotating around the central core, and it finally settles down into a disk around it. And then from this disk, the material eventually uh, falls onto the central star, and star grows in size. But some amount of material, you know, remains into the disk. It does not uh, fall in onto the star, and from that disk, the planets start to form. So mm-hmm. all of this process happens inside a cocoon of this high density region, and mm-hmm. as a result, uh, most of the visible light that is being emitted by this new baby star mm-hmm. is it. It does not come out of the cloud because the dust obscures. Okay, and as a result, you can't see the newly forming star in visible light so our normal telescope they can't see the newly forming star mm, in in yeah. order to see them you have to see the dust which is comparatively much more uh less hotter uh, as compared to the stars so for example mm. stars usually have 
temperatures in thousand kelvins, like a few thousand kelvins, right? But the dust around it, which is blocking the light, it is of the you know, uh, it, it has the temperatures of like hundred kelvins or so. So it is much less uh, colder than even you know, zero degrees Celsius. Hmm. So in order to see them, you need this kind of telescopes like ALMA and JWST. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, talking about machine learning and AI that we talked about, you know, uh, during our chat. So um, it can be used to automate a lot of work. And then it is being used to do, automate a lot of work, especially in research. People are literally writing their entire research papers uh, out of this or maybe editing it in some way or form with uh, these large language models. And uh, for example, detect, detection of, or calculation of exoplanets, um, moving around other planets, etc., which are some of the use cases that I can think of as of now. And what are some of the other ways that uh, people have been using AI and ML for easing up work so that they could spend more quality, quality times on time on things uh, that deserve their attention or maybe that could ease up their work and, and stuff, yeah. Right. So, so most important thing about machine learning and, you know, uh, data science is because it, it, it handles big data well. And in astronomy, with new telescopes being built every few years, we are now into a region where we are uh, producing a lot of information every day about the universe. So, for example, um, there is a new telescope that is being built right now. It's called uh, Verasi Rubin Observatory. And its older name is LSST, Large Synoptic Survey Telescope. Hmm. So, what is going to do, it, it will start observing, it will start taking pictures of the southern sky. Hmm. Um, each of this picture will be having, and that will hmm. be the deepest, some of the deepest images of that section of the sky. Hmm. So, it will, hmm. it will have... Uh, every star and galaxies up, which are which we have never seen so far in that mm. one frame of picture, and then it will start surveying an entire southern sky. So you mm. can say half of the sky uh, it will start surveying. Mm. So that telescope each in each night it will start it will have collected data of about twenty terabytes. Mm. Now that much data. It will have so many galaxies and stars in, in, in images. And mm -hmm. scientists have to do analysis like which of the objects are transient. So basically how they, which of the objects are changing their brightness over time. Mm -hmm. So it is not humanly possible to track each of this object, right? Mm -hmm. Because mm -hmm. each of the picture will have like millions or trillions of stars or galaxies, etc. Mm -hmm. So for yeah. that, data science and machine learning is, you know, one of the best hope we have mm. um mm -hmm. so it you can use computer vision and machine learning to uh, identify changes in hap in the brightness of each object oh, in the okay. in an image so that is one of the area uh, in case of exoplanets uh, and even in case of solar uh, weather so exoplanets we we do a lot of research on on what is the weather on various exoplanets that we observe mm -hmm. or also what is the weather on on our sun because a lot of a coronal mass ejection happens over time on from sun so to to predict the weather of these celestial bodies you can use machine learning uh, you can also use machine learning so for example how i use machine learning um, so uh, in this protoplanetary disk that i talked about uh, which forms around young stars 
the yeah. planets form start to form within the protoplanetary disk and planets mm-hmm. are much more less brighter than than the stars so you can't see them in the picture of protoplanetary disk mm-hmm. but if you have a computer and if you can simulate uh, so if a planet is going around into the into the disk it starts uh, making some changes into the disk some features mm-hmm. into the disk you can see their wakes into the disk and mm-hmm. those wakes you can identify using machine learning so if you have, if you train your model with multiple simulations of various planets going around into a disk then maybe that uh, model will be able to predict a planet into a real observation mm-hmm. so there are various use cases of machine learning like this mm-hmm. um well um how are people trying to look upon the problem that they might do wrong calculations uh sorry i didn't get the question correctly i mean i mean look the thing with large language models is that they are public right so they mm. are the most inaccurate versions of uh, these ai models or chat models that you can have probably because yeah. they are into the public so they're the most generic ones the least powerful ones probably the ones that are in the hands of the very few the powerful or the ones who needed the most like the military or some cyber security firm or whatever they might have the best models of or the best yeah. versions of these in their hands um talking about was, was what i was trying to say is if these models make wrong calculations and speculations mm. and these are because large amounts of data right you said 20 terabytes of in one single uh, right. capture in a day mm. so these are very difficult to i mean store and also even um if we say if we try to edit them in some way or form yeah. these calculations what if these uh models or whatever whatever um, you know whatever software programs they are going to use if these make any form of miscalculations misspeculations whatever how uh, will they solve it because the data set is just in itself very large right hmm. so of course people have thought about it uh, hmm. now exactly what so each telescope team have different ways of dealing with it right hmm. and this is still into little bit future like lsst is going to be completed in 2025 mm-hmm. um but essentially what we are correct currently doing is that we are applying this models etc to a smaller data set and see mm-hmm. how accurate they are right so mm-hmm. if they are not performing well for some specific kind of conditions we will know about it by then mm-hmm. um and when we will apply it to a larger data set that that may it might happen that it, they make some mistakes but every mostly what happens is that whatever is analyzed by machine learning or like this models eventually uh, researchers will also start analyzing them. so for example mm-hmm. they will just so one of the examples of uh, machine use, like using this machine learning models is to detect signals of transiting exoplanets so you have light curve and then uh, because of exoplanetary light curve has a dip so machine learning models can predict it okay this this stars have have shown uh, a planet like dip in the light curve mm-hmm. but then again uh, people will start looking at it and they will ca- categorize whether it is like correct prediction of exoplanet or not so mm-hmm. but in order yeah. to kind of filter out uh, the information you need machine learning mm-hmm. models so at least you can filter out mm-hmm. 50 out of like hundreds of uh mm-hmm. data to find out yeah i see yeah. i see i see i see yeah okay um moving on 
The Bhagavad Gita believes that knowledge and the knower of it are the same and the one who thinks that they are separate is a fool. Just a quote in there. And uh, so the best part about knowledge is that when you can integrate it into other aspects of all disciplines, you understand the true meaning of it. Hence the question what uh, has come up over here is how can in- interdisciplinary collaborations between astronomers, computer scientists and other fields contribute to our understanding right so uh, so like as we were talking about if computer scientists and astronomers come together hmm. uh, so astronomy is basically a technology driven field it's not yeah. it's mostly driven by technology if hmm. so for example uh, about the stars being born uh, hmm. so if i talk about that we didn't knew Conf, uh, completely whether stars are cu- currently being formed into universe right now uh, mm-hmm. about 50 years before so mm. if you talk about uh, scientists in 1950s they didn't knew the answer to that whether stars are currently being formed or not mm. okay. but uh, in the in those in that uh, between 1950s to 1970s a uh, lot of you know a uh, lot of advances has, had been made into war technology Right. Mm-hmm. And with that, infrared camera cameras started being developed. And right. once we had the infrared te- uh, cameras, we started looking at the sky through infrared cameras. And from that, we found out that, oh, lots of stars are being formed, which were not visible to us into visible wavelengths, but they are visible in infrared wavelengths. So <clears throat> more and more yeah. collaborations between different disciplines of science mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. will eventually you know give us more and more ways of looking at the universe just science and, uh yeah i would say just science for now okay well i mean i saw i mean actually i'm part of the, an organization so they actually they made a video where they I mean they they were saying that a uh, lot of other fields like for example economics even philosophy if from economics to philosophy everything that is very vague or something that is very core everything is being tried tried to integrate into space science for example space economics space philosophy is basically right. metaphysics <laughs> and all that so yeah all of so they're trying to integrate various other different fields that are not even related to science into space science well anyways um so i've been a certain scientist uh, at the universe i mean zooniverse universe, mm. and an active volunteer uh, on their project of extraterrestrial life and search for extraterrestrial intelligence uh, that they are doing with giant magellan telescope yeah. yeah and this question seems pretty relevant for my personal uh, opinions and work so how might our understanding of star and planet formation inform our search for extraterrestrial life and what are the prospects for discovering life beyond earth right so mm-hmm. So as you basically see more and more exoplanetary system as you more, observe more of them mm-hmm. you find out that our solar system is basically not that special and yeah. uh, a lot of other different solar systems are mm-hmm. there and they have very different arrangement in every aspect like in terms mm-hmm. of chemical uh, uh, mm-hmm. chemical uh, complexity in terms of the way they have been arranged into uh, around the stars so like uh, and and we have explored very small section of the of the surrounding universe and there are so many other stars that we don't know about whether they have 
planets mm-hmm. around them or not mm-hmm. and current mm-hmm. uh, predictions tell us that almost mm-hmm. every star in the universe will have mm-hmm. planet mm-hmm. at some point uh, around them yeah right so there are so many possibilities and we can't say anything about whether there will be a life in another on another planet right now mm-hmm. but possibilities are endless like i am hopeful mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah um well uh this in particular is going to be a shorter one today everyone so because because of the reason that i have two shoots today so it's for the first time i'm doing two shoots in a single day so that's a quite a hectic schedule and anyways um now we uh, come to the vague and philosophical question of um, what are some of the biggest unanswered questions in the field of star and planet formation what new technologies or approaches uh, might help us answer them right mm-hmm. so there are actually many so general uh, theory we know that uh, when stars form a uh, surrounding mm-hmm. planet protoplanetary disk form mm-hmm. and eventually mm-hmm. planets form out of it mm-hmm. but uh, this this entire process we don't know exactly mm-hmm. how everything happens within mm-hmm. at, at a minuscule layer uh, level for mm-hmm. example uh, we know that planets form out of protoplanetary disk mm-hmm. but our analysis shows that protoplanetary disks which mm-hmm. we hope that eventually will form planets do not have enough mass mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. uh to form all the planets that we mm-hmm. expect uh mm-hmm. the, so systems that we have observed in, mm-hmm. from exoplanet studies uh their architecture we cannot explain from whatever we are, we are being seeing in we are mm-hmm. seeing in protoplanetary disks so we mm-hmm. have some theories but all of them are not very complete mm-hmm. we also mm-hmm. don't know how the micron sized particles that we have mm-hmm. that are there in protoplanetary disk mm-hmm. how they eventually grow into you know kilometer sized particles which eventually mm-hmm. starts to form planets mm-hmm. so all mm-hmm. those uh, uh, micro level physics is not yet sorted out mm-hmm. so, and there yeah. are so many other questions like it's yeah. Yeah, yeah. Mm. well uh, probably the last question for the day because i have not had as many follow up questions today because i usually what i do is when i ask one question i usually have a follow up question to that and then maybe a, another one to that but i have not had as many of them as today maybe maybe just because of the reason that my question my brain is not coming up with as many doubts as possible but i don't know anyways yeah so okay that could be because of two reasons because maybe because i'm understanding everything or because i understand nothing <laughs> it could be any of the two anyways yeah. uh so you mentioned that you're a researcher and most of an educator to students and an aspiring astrophysicist so because of which you ha- must have had quite insightful experiences with students around the country maybe and uh, what aspirations do you think among indian students are the most prominent to pursue research and what do they want to pursue or, be, or uh, in space science particularly yeah right so mostly like i have i uh, get a lot of people lot of students uh, approach me that you know mm-hmm. we want to um, start uh, doing physics we want we are interested in astrophysics so how do mm-hmm. we do it mm-hmm. and uh so most of them don't have uh you know a mm-hmm. uh, idea of what one has to do in order to become an astrophysicist and what mm-hmm. will be their life uh like like what mm-hmm. what kind mm-hmm. of work they will have to do mm-hmm. um but a lot of people have uh 
so much interest that i say that okay uh, it will it will have like lots of uh, years of dedication mm-hmm. will you be able to do it they were like mm-hmm. no i want to do it mm-hmm. um so yeah i mean uh, mm-hmm. people the the interest in astrophysics is definitely mm-hmm. increasing in a lot of uh, parts right. of india now so, right. and there are lots of new uh, facilities being developed Mm-hmm. for undergraduate students and graduate mm-hmm. students mm-hmm. for research so mm-hmm. well uh, all right so a comparatively smaller one today and everyone thank you for listening i mean it's it's wrapped up in around 35 36 minutes to today okay um so yep thank you everyone for listening to another episode of the mib podcast um the 21st or the 22nd maybe the 20 maybe the 20 i don't know <laughs> okay uh thank you for listening and uh, i hope to see you again i hope to hear from you again please provide a feedback you can always uh comment uh, your views in the q and a of spotify chats that we usually have in every other episode and uh, people uh usually provide their feedbacks over there so yeah uh, and whatever pro- you pro- uh, feedback you will be providing us we'll publish that publicly on spotify itself so yeah uh, and thank you uh, for helping us reach rank 11 uh, all over india in the space and astro- astronomy sector i uh, hope to have your support more and more of it and we'll go further uh, and uh, yeah bye and keep looking up